This is Do Good and Do Well, the podcast for people who want to make a positive difference in the world without losing themselves in the process. I'm Sarah Fox, life, business and leadership coach. And in this podcast, I'll be sharing stories from social and creative entrepreneurs and leaders to help inspire you as a change maker to do good and do well. Hi everyone and welcome to the Do Good and Do Well podcast. In today's episode, I'm talking to Boff Wally. After 25 years of recording and touring with Chumbawamba, Boff started to write. He's written several touring plays for Red Ladder Theatre and has written large-scale musicals with residents of two East Leeds estates working with arts charities Space 2. He is working at the moment with Cardboard Citizens Theatre in London and the Welsh National Opera and with the Edinburgh Fringe winner Daniel Bai on a show about running. He has published two books, Footnote and Run Wild, and has just finished writing a biography of notorious punk fell runner champion Gary Devine. He also runs an ever-growing and unruly choir, Commoners Choir, combining his passions for community, music and political activism. In this episode, we're going to be talking about having a good time, being a parent, imposter syndrome, collective responsibility and the power of having a cup of tea. Enjoy. Enjoy. Hello, Boff. Welcome to the Do Good and Do Well podcast. Hi. How are you? Are you all right? <laughs> I'm all right. It's so nice to see you. Well, not yeah. that my listeners will be able to see you, but you, you just <laughs> look happy and lovely <laughs> and it's so good to see you. So do you. It's good to see you. <laughs> um, in fact, I was thinking, we when did we first meet? Two thousand and fifteen, I think. Yeah, in a in a in an interview at Manchester Museum. Yeah, is that right? It yeah. was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's gone well. On the one hand, it feels like a really long time, and then on the other, yeah, no time at all. Yeah, a lot has happened in those five years, <laughs> hasn't it? Yes, <laughs> it really I has. Say that. Yeah. yeah. Right, I have got loads of questions that I want to ask you so okay. I'm just gonna go straight in and start right. with tell us about yourself what is it you want us to know about you um about myself I'm from Burnley in Lancashire so I so I've basically gone through life carrying this this kind of um uh it's not a chip on the shoulder but this this kind of weird misplaced pride in in being from the north and having an accent and thinking whatever whatever there is that that can be done in in the arts or in music or in theatre or whatever, I'm determined to kind of make it work and get in there and get involved and not leave it to to the kind of, you know, the the nice, well-off, middle-class, southern-centric arts organisations. And and that's also given me this, this, um, apart from being being in a pop group for like 25 years or or more, I think I've got this sense of, just wanting to work with people all the time and have and, and also having a real you know there's a, a film called Spinal Tap and they 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 basically say uh, what's your motto and the reply is have a good time all the time and I, I love that I think that's great nice and simple <laughs> have a good time all the time yeah is it possible no not really <laughs> no no but I've from my mum I've inherited a kind of um, a kind of genetic 
g- general feeling of well-being and just and getting on with things and and not getting too troubled and bogged down by anything. Mm. Yeah, I feel like this year I've come to the conclusion, even though it's been really hard, I've come to the conclusion that things always tend to work out for, you know, me and my family and yeah. however uh, down the downs are, they tend to work out. And that has felt quite a freeing um, place to be, actually. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I kind of, I absolutely believe in making the best of what you've got. And I think that a lot of things are to do with look, a lot of things. You know, if you're born in Syria or you're born in Surrey, you you, you have a different life. But mm. but once you've got over that bit, then you think, okay, I'm just going to, I'm going to work really hard to to kind of enjoy things and, and to kind of bring people along with you and hope that they're having a good time as well. Mm. And pass things on to your kids. That's the hardest thing, isn't it? Bringing up children and, <laughs> and, and and being constantly aware of of yeah of of their moods and wants and wishes and thinking that's that's the real future there. Yeah, I I've been thinking about this a bit, and that but there's also a sense that or sense for me that this idea of parenting, the verb parenting, you know, it, that it feels like there's so much pressure and I, I can often find myself worrying about little things that have happened that I then feel are going to impact their entire future. And, yeah. you know, that's sort of, because you're holding yeah. them, you're holding this space for them constantly and, yeah, trying trying to, well, also think it will all work out. You know, my children are very fortunate and and they do have a nice life. And yeah, they've got parents that care about them who make mistakes sometimes. Yeah. Um, but yeah. yeah. And that's good. I think the best thing you can do is is is, is think to yourself, are, are they looking at me or at us and thinking, uh, and thinking well, my me, me, me dad's having a good time. That's what I want. I want them to think mm. that, that the dad's happy with what's going on. Mm. You know, sometimes like if we're if if I'm in the, the car driving somewhere and there's someone, you know, trying to get past and they they're really really bugged because you you're going five miles an hour slower than they are, and they nearly kill themselves overtaking you on a corner and they're really angry and all that sort of thing. And I always, you know, I'll turn to me my kids who are in the car and I'll say, "That's someone who's not enjoying their life." Mm. Just think if you if you can get that angry about somebody not going fast enough, you mm. know, in, in a car, then. There are bigger problems there. So Yeah. And also just that need to get to that final destination so quickly. I know. There's so much metaphor going on here. This there is, this is a metaphor of life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um okay, so this podcast is called Do Good and Do Well. What does that mean for you? Well, what it made me think when I when I read it and read read the things you put about it was that um because I, I spent so long being being in a pop group and I felt like even though I was trying really hard to talk about the world and all that sort of thing and, and have something to say and try and make small differences in people's lives I realized that once I'd given up doing that and started working in theater and community groups and community arts and uh, running choirs and all that sort of thing um I realized that I was finding about finding out about this really nice personal communal way of doing good which wasn't just a kind of self-satisfied look I'm trying to do something interesting in the world it was more look this is about me interacting with people and ensuring that we're, we're all doing things together and it was what it was it was switching my ideas as an artist from everything being about um, performance 
it wasn't about performance anymore. It was also about process. And in going back to your car metaphor, it, it is about the journey as well as the destination. And realising that, you know, because I, I spent like two years doing a musical with a, a housing estate in East Leeds. And I found it really difficult because normally I'd try and get things done really quickly. And I found that you, you can't do if you're working with lots of different school children and old age people's groups and, you know, and church tombola affair, you know, auction committees. And everything took ages. But then afterwards I realised that it was all about the process. It was all about everybody being involved and having their say and having a really good time. And, yeah, great, the performance was one thing, but, it was actually, it's about process. And that's kind of stuck with me with everything else that I do now. You were talking on a podcast recently um, about your running and how, I think it was around April time and that you were deliberately carving out a very particular time of the day to get out and connect with nature. And that made me think that that kind of doing well for yourself. And because I think sometimes when we're working in that environment with communities and there's a lot going on and you're meeting the most amazing people hearing all these stories where do you put yourself within all of that and how do you keep yourself going and so when I heard you talking about the running I wondered whether that was your kind of do well side of things and it it wasn't originally I I wanted to start running because I I went and watched the fell race I watched some 200 people running up and down a mountain and thought that looks like fun. I want to have a go at that. But then over the years, especially since the internet and since digital technology, I've come to realise how valuable it is as a as a way of looking after yourself. Because, you know, if I go running, I never wear a watch or, you know, a heart rate monitor and all that business. I don't do any of that. Mm. Uh, because I think that once you're out and you're in the, in the woods or on the moors, then it's just between you and, and the ground. It's just between you and nature. And I, th- that, I think that's vital nowadays. Um, you know, even more than road running where you can't really escape the kind of, you know, the onslaught of traffic and noise and bombardment of advertisements and stuff. So so just to, just to be away for an hour a day and to make sure that happens is 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 more important now than it's ever been. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, and I, it's not just with running, but, but uh, every week I have to do a couple of Guardian cryptic crosswords because they take me some time. I'm not brilliant at them. And and they stop me from doing something else. I have to sit down and look at it. And I, I wash up rather than using a dishwasher because it stops me doing anything else. I have to stand at the sink for half an hour. The little things like that that I've put in specifically to stop myself just running around like a kind of mad chicken all the time. Mm. Um, and obviously children are a brilliant part of that. When When... As soon as the children were born, Maisie's 18 now, but I kind of made a pact, which was that if they're in the house, I'll never be working at the same time. So when they come home from school or at weekends, I don't work. That's kind of the end of it. And uh, to the extent where my me, me younger son, Johnny, he got asked at school what his dad did for a living and he had no idea. <laughs> he said, I think, I think he sits in front of a computer. And he, so he was asking me, what, what do you do? <laughs> <laughs> Which I love. I think that's great because as soon as he walks through the door, I tend to think, "Hooray, phew! I can stop now. Mm. Let's let's have fun. Let's do something else. Let's go for a walk." Uh, I keep thinking about how in 2021, I really want to spend more time deliberately creating the life I want, and one of those things is about when my children come home from school, stopping and 
spending time with them. I mean, I think I, I do that, but then I tend to go back upstairs yeah. in my little office yeah. and um, do a bit more. My daughter does all these really beautiful pictures for me and she did one for my birthday, which said, um, keep calm, carry on coaching. <laughs> and I thought, oh, okay, no, she doesn't. <laughs> she does yeah, know yeah. what I'm doing. Maybe, what doing. maybe it's... Um... That's great. That's really good. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> no, that- actually, no, because I do actually. If they when when they've gone to bed, I sometimes think, okay, right, I'm gonna I'm gonna spend four hours now, you know, editing this song or whatever, because yeah. it's just the concentration that I need for it. But it's just the idea of when they're around, don't be kind of going, excuse me, I'm working. You know, can you get out? Mm-hmm. So, and that's been really good for me. That that really has kind of slowed me down a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I guess that. You know, it is cliche, but they do grow so like my daughter's 10 yeah. and it's just gone so quickly. And the next, well, you know, having an 18 year old, I mean, that, and then suddenly life changes a bit. And so, yeah, that yeah. being able to lie in bed and still read stories and I have to really, because it's so easy, I could say, oh, you know what, dad can do that or, yeah. oh, reach yourself you know but going yeah, yeah. and of course because I love it as well and yeah, like when yeah. I'm there doing it and we're lying down together reading mm. it's just so nourishing it is it's absolutely amazing yeah mm. yeah because because I've because I've Johnny's 10 and so he's now allowed to walk to school on his own because he's in the top year at junior school at primary school and um Obviously, he wants to because he's, you know, he's a lad now, so he wants to walk to school with his mates. But I was really disappointed. I was like, I really enjoyed that thing of just that that quarter of an hour walk where you just chat about anything, about rubbish. It was just a really nice time, and now I don't get to have it. Yeah. So you see those spaces disappearing, don't you? Badly. Yeah. So it feels like you are really thinking, what is it that – or how is it that I want my life to be? How do I – how do I curate that? Mm. It, has there been a time when you felt like it hasn't it hasn't been like that and things haven't been going so well? Yeah, one of the things that drives th- those kind of ideas is it is economics, and I think if you um, if you're working and someone's paying you to work, then then you can kind of carve out space in other ways and, and, you know, do all that business. But if you're not working or if you're working a really low-paid job, then you don't get that opportunity to mm. to think, oh, I'll, I'll make sure I have an hour's running every day. You know, you might be commuting two hours, three hours a day. And so I recognise that, that I'm in a position, I, I think I've put myself in that position, but I also think that a lot of people don't get that privilege mm. and I can see it. And, and, and so I wouldn't kind of go around going, Hey, you should all do this thing that I do, <laughs> you know, wash up, do a, do a crossword, go for a run. Run up a mountain you know, some, <laughs> in London. Yeah, all that business. <laughs> yeah. So, but on the other hand, I, I have, I've, I, as, as I was getting older, we went to live in America for a year because my, my partner's family are all, in, all American to see whether we could live there and we decided we couldn't but one thing we did decide was that that since we both go out running or swimming or whatever in the river and stuff every day then let's stop living let's go and live somewhere where you can do that so we moved to a little town north of Leeds where you can run out the door and straight up the hill rather than having to cross you know Mm. three dual carriageways and and endless streets before you reach a park and and we had to work really hard to make that happen but that was something where I, I thought I'm getting older, 
this is, these are the kind of things that you're meant to do. You're meant to sort your life out so that I'm, so I don't end up being 70 years old thinking, Oh, I wish I'd have lived somewhere that where I could go running from the door. So we did that. And that was like a, you know, a big, a big move. But again, you know, it, it's, it's because the, the kind of work I do with community groups or with arts groups, whatever, I, I'm allowed to do that. I don't live in the middle of London. Mm-hmm. So I have to constantly remind myself that, you know, with, with this whole lockdown business and the pandemic year, and I've had this with quite a few people where people say, oh, God, you know, how's it been for you? And I think oh, it's a bit embarrassing, but it's been absolutely fine. I've had lots of work. I've, I've spent lots more time with, you know, with my kids and my family. And, you know, we didn't really go, to, go on holidays abroad anyway. So, you know what I mean? It hasn't, hasn't really affected me. Whereas I know for some people it's been awful, you know, the loneliness mm-hmm. and the isolation. And, you know, my mum and dad have, haven't had anyone uh, cross their door for since March. And, um, you know, I, I just think, goodness, I've, I'm in a, I'm in a really fortunate position here mm-hmm. to be able to carry on working and enjoying life. So mm. I think we have all experienced this so differently. And one of my aims for this podcast is to say that, you know, we all live different lives. We are all different people, different from our partners, different from our children. We're different from our parents. We're different from each other. But we have to look inside and really figure out what matters to us as individuals. And then, you know, what is possible? What is possible for us given our own contexts but Mm. that actually maybe we have more choice than we think we have more choice than and it it originally looks like we have and one of the questions when you're saying that you know I don't want to get to be an older person and look back and think why didn't I move to the hills one of my questions when I'm coaching sometimes is you know when you're 95 um, in fact, I'm going to ask you this. So, so yeah. when Boff is 95 years old and he's sat on a bench in a park somewhere or up a hill, maybe, mm-hmm. uh, and someone says, you know, what was your life like? What What are the stories that you want to tell? What What will matter? I think. I think what would matter would be. Well, I, I mean, I know it's a cliche, but it would be what what I've passed down to my kids. That would be the first thing. Thinking they're growing up really happy or they mm. grew up happily and thinking that's the best thing you can, you can pass on. And secondly, I would, and even now I think this, when I, when I look at my children, I, I think they, they can see that I've, even from being 16, 15, 16, when I got into punk rock, which, which was, which basically taught me that I didn't have to pick a career, go to university, get the, get the qualifications and then sit in that career for the rest of my life. It gave me this idea that, do you know what? You can, you can kind of do whatever you want. You know, we started a band and I had no idea. I couldn't play guitar or anything. And we got a gig because it was punk. Someone said, Oh, do you want to do a gig? And we said, yeah. And then we went away and me and a few mates and said, what are we going to do? We can't play any instruments. We, we've no songs. Let's write some. Yeah, but we've got two weeks. That's all right. Let's, let's just have a go. And I th- and to have that spirit at a young age given to you, I just think that is and and, and that that informed the rest of my life. 
And I imagine that I, I do imagine that I'll be 95 on top of a mountain somewhere going, uh, you know, them days, Joe Strummer, you know, Blackburn Kings Hall telling everyone to go and form a band. And so we did, you know, that, that <laughs> I'll be doing all that, but I'll, but I'll, I'll know that I've been happy. Definitely. Mm. Mm. I don't, I'm, I'm not someone who regrets things. Mm. I feel like that's such a gift to have. I mean, that certainly wasn't the case for me when I was 16. Yeah. I sort of felt like, well, well I ended up, I, I came from a really working class background and then ended up going to grammar school. And that was a, a system, you know, where you did your GCSEs, you did your A-levels, you went to university. Yeah. And I chose drama because it was the thing that I enjoyed most and I chose Kent because it was very familiar to Dorset where I'd grown up lots of green and it was by the sea and it sort of it was hard and it was a risk being the first person to go to university but um you know I chose to go in a place that felt not too scary yeah um and I think that sense of what's possible and being able to make your own choices I don't I think that sort of happened to me in the last couple of years in a way you know I think setting up your own business and going oh actually I can choose to make this what I want it to be there are no rules there's no one giving me any rules to Mm. you know and as much as I loved my work at People United that was um there was still a container in a way, you know, yeah. it was about a certain thing. Whereas now I'm like, wow, like the, the possibilities are endless. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I have to stop myself. I've got so many ideas. I'm like, okay, now just focus, just focus on. Isn't that scary as well though? What's that? For- having, not having the container, not having the kind of framework. That's scary for a lot of people. Yeah, but I think, yeah, I think it is. And I'd always said Whenever I work with freelancers, and I may have even said this too, like, oh, I could never be freelance. I could never. Mm. Um, uh, but I think I think it is scary, but I think what I see are the benefits of it. And I know 95-year-old Sarah, probably I'd say sitting on a bench looking over the some gorgeous sea scene, yeah. um, swearing at the seagulls. I don't really like seagulls. I would be saying... I'm really glad I did that because if I hadn't, I would never have known what was possible for me yeah. and what my potential was. Yeah. Even if it, even if it, if it hadn't worked, if it had failed, then it's still really good yeah. that you've done it. Cause, Cause I just, I just finished reading Malcolm McLaren's autobiography and uh, a lot of it is when he was, when he was young and he decided to go to art college one of the first things he learned at art college, which he says stuck with him through everything he did, was was embrace failure. Mm. Uh, don't be afraid of failing. Go in, jump into something, and if it doesn't work, you've learned that it doesn't work. Jump into some, go and jump into something else. And whereas we are, we're all scared of failure, and we think, oh no, I don't think that I don't think that'll work, and so we we kind of restrict ourselves massively. Mm. And I still have it. What what what's it called? You know, the syndrome where you imposter syndrome. Yeah. I, I think it's you just can't get away from it. Especially, maybe one of the reasons I mentioned like coming from Burnley in the beginning is because I'm aware of it all the time. So at the moment, I've been working with writer Sarah Woods, who's brilliant with with uh, Welsh National Opera, and to find myself 
you know, ex pop group guitarist in in a room with with string quartet and piano players and six, you know, incredible opera singers, um, all asking me whether it's a dotted crotchet or a crotchet on the, you know, on bar 632 of a piece of music that I've written. And I, all the time I'm fighting this, this desire to think, what am I doing here? I shouldn't be here. They're really, really good and they're really professional and they're brilliant at what they do. And I'm just this oik from I have to clear what I'm doing. And I have to, I kind of have to put a front on all the time. Of course I know what I'm doing, <laughs> but, but, but again, it's that, it's thinking, well, if I don't walk into that room and try and do this thing, then then I'll never know whether I could do it or not. And as it happens, I thought afterwards, I think, oh, yeah, I can do that. And yeah. everyone everyone thinks I can do it. So, yeah, I'll do it again. Imposter syndrome is really common. And um, there is something about being able to trust you need to validate yourself. You need to know that you, you know, that then there's part of us that must think we can do it because we do do it. You know, we take that risk. We, we do yeah. risk failure. Um, but also really hearing the feedback that you're getting from other people who are saying, you know, we love working with you. We love what you're creating. Mm. We love the space you create for us mm. in order for this to happen. Yeah. And, you know, I think, well, from my experience it can often I, I've not been very good at taking that feedback and being all like oh no <laughs> not yeah. little of me I'm yeah. not very good um, yeah. but actually being able to go you know what no I am I, I can yeah. do this yeah it can be very powerful to well to stand you in can. that space yeah I tend to kind of internalize that and I and if somebody do, if somebody is really complimentary about things I kind of go oh yeah yeah you know whatever yeah yeah and but then I do walk away and think, yeah, that's really good. It means I can do it. I'm, I'm, I'm becoming more aware of being able to do things, mm. even as I get older. Thinking, but yeah, it's it's hard to show it, isn't it? You know, some people, especially you know, people who've been to public schools and all that sort of thing. I'm not just you know, without not tarring everyone with the yeah. same brush. Obviously, people, everyone's different. But there's um, there's a there's a confidence there that isn't to do with ability or education or anything it's just it's just by being told constantly you are the best and you will do well in life and and you can just see it you can hear it and feel it as soon as somebody walks into a room and I find it really threatening I I, I want to kind of run away from it and think I don't want anything to do with that and and I yeah I find it really really difficult mm. but it, but you know, I'm bringing my kids up in a house that's full of books and art and conversation. So they're, they're going to grow up with some amount of confidence that I never had. And I kind of think, well, fair enough. You know, mm. that's it'll do them well in life. Mm. And it's not fair. You know, life's not fair, is it? Because I, I had this friend called Simon who he was from a very, you know, uh, upper-class family and he went to public school, you know, the best schools and everything. It was a lovely, lovely bloke. And um, he came and stayed at house, our house once and he wanted to go to the opera in Leeds to, to see Opera North and he didn't have a ticket. And he said, oh, it's fine, it's fine, I'll get in. And we're like, how are you going to get in? And he said, Give, have, have you got a clipboard? This is genuine. We gave him a clipboard. He went down down into town and he walked, he waltzed into the opera and, and somebody stopped him and he said, Oh, oh no, I'm 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 with the I'm with the, the uh, 
the concert, you know, I'm, I'm part of the part of the show. And they went, oh, sorry, sorry, in, in you go. And he just went in and just picked a seat and sat down. And I thought I could never do that in a million years. <laughs> I'd be scared stiff. I'd be found out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so- It'd stop the opera halfway and go, right, the, can we have the house lights up? There's someone here who's... <laughs> Yeah, I would go into total catastrophizing mode. Like, they'll catch yeah. me, they'll throw me into prison, then my children yeah. will become... <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, that is amazing. And that, yeah, how do you, can you, how do you find that inner confidence where you know your place in the world? And Yeah. Yeah, I do think you can, I do think confidence is something you can learn I think it's all about action so the more you take action the more confident you can feel and become yeah yeah um, but it can be a hard ask yeah absolutely yeah for people because Dan Dan Bio I work with he wrote this lovely thing which was called Tiny Heroes which was basically looking at uh what heroism is and taking it away from, you know, armed forces and, and Batman and Robin and all that sort of thing and making it about just ordinary people who do kind of tiny things in the in their lives or in the lives of the people around them. And he he wrote these words to a song, which were basically because he'd done this interview with, with a, a woman. And it was just about um, having suffered years of, of abuse growing up. This woman uh, was in a situation where the, the act of heroism was was opening the front door and and walking outside it. And that is and, and that's, it's such a lovely idea. And it's so true that a lot for a lot of people, the, the action of just getting up in the morning is is incredible. Mm. And that's and it's and it's really important for, you know, for them to do that. So so confidence, you know, that swaggering confidence that you see in in Parliament where they can do do whatever they want, and they don't care what the repercussions are. That's that's such a world away from from so many people's lives. Mm. But anyway, I don't want to get kind of get all <laughs> depressing. <laughs> oh, we're never. Uh, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> tell me yeah. about um. Tell me about Commoners Choir. How is all of that going? It's brilliant. It's really good uh, for a few reasons. One because it, it was at first it was a kind of musical idea. I thought it would be fun to have a band that had kind of punk, angry political lyrics, but which sounded beautiful and which sounded like the Mormon Tabernacle Choir or something. Um, it was just an, a, a kind of silly idea, and it's grown and grown to the point. It, we've we've been doing it for about four years now. It's grown to the point where. It, it sounds good and it's a lovely thing and it's a really good communal thing. Everybody, it just has a really good time being together. Even through this year of not being able to rehearse, we we have Zoom meetings every week. Someone will do a quiz. Someone does warm ups. We all warm up, you know, on our weird Zoom meeting with like forty or fifty people there. It just gives everybody a sense of belonging to something that that's got a purpose. The purpose is to kind of sing about what's going on in the world. And the but one of the reasons I really love it is because it's taken on a life of its own. I think originally it was me going, I like writing songs. Wouldn't it be nice to write songs for a choir? And now it's become a huge community. And, you know, somebody else sets up the meetings, somebody sets up the rehearsals, somebody gets gigs. Um, 
uh, we've just got an allotment, you know, and people are dying out the allotment, you know, digging away and growing vegetables. <laughs> and the people that people meet to go on walks and things like that. So it's, it's just this really good community. It's fantastic. And then it's like, oh, and we sing as well. So, so I, I, I love it. It's really nice to be part of. Yeah, and I was looking at the website and reading the manifesto again. That, oh, yeah. That, and I just love that sense of we, we have something to say, we're going to have fun saying it. And, you know, it, it there is a sense of quality to it. You know, we want it to be good and we want it to make a difference, but also we will all take responsibility. We mm. will all, you know, it, we are all committed to this. And if we mm. want it to happen, we all need to to take that responsibility. And I think yeah. in terms of mental health and well-being, my feeling is that the more that we can have this sort of flatter structure where it's not one person holding it all and having to do it all so to create a space for everyone to have fun and, and make a difference. Yeah. We yeah. can all take collective responsibility. Mm. Yeah, because I mean that's absolutely what it is. And one of the because from being from being sixteen, seventeen years old, I've always identified as as an anarchist. And at its most basic level, it just means don't go around telling other people what to do, and and make sure you're in a situation where nobody's telling you what to do. And within a choir, there can is up to like 120, 130 people involved oh. in it. And it's not a bunch of anarchists, it's people of all kinds of, you know, all different kinds of people. As long as you're kind of broadly uh, progressive and forward-looking and caring about the world, then then you're welcome. So there's all different ranges of people, but the model on which we, we work and which we're built, built on is, is basically an anarchist idea. So that if somebody comes along to a meeting or, or something, and especially if they're quite new to it, they'll often come to me and say, propose an idea rather than trying to work out so people someone might come up and say um i've you know i've heard that there's a there's a really good festival called deer shed festival that's really good family festival and you've got good politics and that and it would be really good to play there and i go yeah it would (laughs) and then they kind of look at me as if i'm going to go yeah i'll get onto the organizers and i don't i go yeah that would be great. And and I wait a, a couple of seconds and they go, um, so do you think I should get in touch with them? And I go, yeah, absolutely. And people learn after a while. People just think, yeah, of course I should do it myself. Yeah. And everyone feels empowered. And the only thing I keep hold of in, in the choir, the only real thing I keep hold of is, this, is the songwriting. So everybody will get together and decide what songs we, what we're going to sing about. And a lot of the time people will have big discussions and people make notes and there's lots of bits of paper with people's ideas with rhyming couplets on and everything. But in the end, that's the one thing where I say, okay, can we have all the pieces of paper and I'll try and make a song out of it. And that's just because even in a kind of anarchist situation, you have to have, you think, okay, somebody's really good at this and somebody's really good at that and somebody's really good at that. So let's give them the kind of gumption to, to look after that part of it. Mm. <clears throat> I just because I've been writing songs for forty years or something, so so I'm not I'm not ready to kind of give that away and mm. say yeah everyone can write one. <laughs> <laughs> so I so yeah so I, it, yeah, and that that's got confidence in it, hasn't it? Yeah, I probably didn't used to think like that, but I do now. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. What do you, this is a, um, a slightly strange question. I'm wondering if I should ask it, but I'm going to anyway. Um, what, <laughs> is there a song that you've written in particular or performed that you feel your best self when you perform it? It's like, this is me. Probably not really, because because what the thing I've, in terms of my best self, the thing that I've always loved most artistically is the ability to to do lots of different things. So to be able to write for Red Ladder Theatre for their Mother Courage show, for instance, mm-hmm. which is, which is a, I don't know, a tuba and a saxophone and a clarinet and, a, and, a, and a, an accordion and, and five singers. And then the week after to be writing for a hundred-piece choir and then the week after trying to write a pop song. So, I'll, I, so it's hard to pin it down to one thing. But having said that, I do love standing in front of the choir and waving my arms around and them singing songs that I've had a big part of writing. I like that more than standing on a stage and singing myself because cause it, um, firstly, because it, it's kind of showing that I'm, I'm giving any power I've got in that situation, I'm kind of giving it away and I really enjoy giving it away. I've just, I've just got my back to the audience and I enjoy not having to perform and um, so that's the first thing. But secondly, I love thinking, great, I get to hear what what they all sound like, whereas all the people on stage, they don't get to hear it. So when we're rehearsing, I'm always saying, look, at any point, you know, if anybody wants to just come come out here and have a listen, because, you know, because you sound brilliant. It sounds, you know, really good. And it sounds good with, with me not being in it, basically. And I love that. I just, I really enjoy that that feeling Mm. and it's good to know that isn't it it's like it's good to notice what makes us happy and what brings us joy because then we can choose more of it and we can say no to the things that don't you know if we can say no to the things that don't make us feel our best self yeah absolutely because because there was a thing with with being in the band I just really enjoyed it. And we all we were all mates, so we really loved it. But it became obvious really, really quickly that some people enjoyed and were good at dancing around and singing and being at the front and being and and just being characters and being really good at that. Whereas some people were were good at kind of standing to the side and playing the music and and being really proud of what we were doing together. Mm-hmm. And it and. And I think that's great. It's a nice thing to to learn early on in life. <laughs> and bands are a good way of learning that because everyone's got a different role and you really quickly find out who's kind of, you know, who's doing the work and who's good at sharing and who's good at kind of making things happen and all that sort of thing. Mm. Yeah, I really miss being part of a team. I can, like, you know, working here on my own, my own little... Yeah, yeah. This is what, partly why I did the podcast. I was like, I just want to talk yeah. to lots of... Yeah. I, do, I do talk to lots of people, but um, in a slightly different way. But, um, yeah, that, you know, being in a band, being part of something... Yeah. That where you're connected to other people. I yeah. Think it's just... It's such a privilege to be able to be in that space it is yeah to be able to 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 collaborate on ideas is is just my favorite thing I I love it I love Mm. meeting someone who you have a connection with and you think 
oh, this is really working where that person does this and then I get to add this and then they change it. So, so when I first started working in theatre and I was writing plays and um, the first time I kind of started going in rehearsal rooms and seeing what people do, you know, all, all the actors come in and they all do a warm up and, and all that. And it's a really lovely atmosphere and you think, oh, this is nice. And you've got this idea of what this play is going to be and it's in your head. And then as soon as the actors start working on it, they do something to it. Even, you know, every line, they do something to it that, that makes me think, well, do you know what, that's, that's better than it was in my head. And it gives you a massive amount of respect for them. You just think that's what that's why they do this because they're really good at it, and I, I love that thinking. Well, I thought that was a really good line, but then somebody else has got it and they've made it five times better. Mm. And it's just that feeling of collaborating with someone to make something good rather than just thinking, "Yeah, I'm good at my job. I can do this, so I'll, you know, it can't get any better." I think that's ridiculous. <clears throat> <laughs> it's just making me laugh because uh, I'm um, thinking, yeah, I, how can I, how can I create, I need to keep creating this community of people who want to do good and do well so that we can elevate each other. And so it's not just me yeah. half in a cupboard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone, yeah. look after yourself. Yeah, yeah. But it, but it, but I have to say these these kind of conversations are all part of it. I think that I think a lot of the time you can, as an as someone who works in creative industries or whatever, you can crack on and do your thing mm-hmm. without having that chance to stop and think, what is this thing that I do, and and how does it work, and why does it work, and you know, like for instance, that you know, you could this last year you can feel like you spend your life having Zoom meetings mm-hmm. where you, you're all you're all talking about because it's not a great environment to have a meeting in, you tend to talk about the business at hand. And then you say, right, see you, everyone. Rather than get, having a Zoom meeting where you go, how are you doing? What's happening? You know, what's what's going on? What's the gossip? What have you been watching on telly? Um, which you would do in real life. Mm. As soon as you walk into a room in real life, that's that's kind of what you do. Mm. And so I, it's micro moments. That yeah. It's standing and talking while you're having a cup of tea or... Yeah, yeah absolutely. Up. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, one of the, one of the, this is really sad, but one of the reasons I started drinking tea, and I never used to drink tea and coffee and stuff, um, was because I just thought, that looks really social. Because if you say to someone, do you want a cup of tea? <laughs> and they go, they go, yes, but what actually I'm really after is, is the cup of tea, is the bit of conversation that comes with the cup of tea. That's what they're really saying. Whereas if someone yeah. just says, uh, no, I'm all right, thanks, then you think, all right, okay, they don't want a quick chat then. <laughs> and I love that. I love that idea of, do you want to come around for a cup of tea? Yeah. Doesn't mean you're actually, who cares about the cup of tea? It's, exactly. the, it's the well, sit down, really. Yeah, yeah. And connect. And isn't that, isn't that lovely? Yeah, mm, it's great. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> look, I could talk to you forever and ever, but... Um... I realised that but we're you're not gonna... over time. I'm, no, <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to. I'm going to yeah, go yeah. see my children. Um, yeah, yeah. So my final question, well, actually I've got two. Firstly, what's next? What's next for you? What What are you hoping 2021 will bring? I know that's a hard question. But... Yeah. Well, I've got, I've kind of got three big projects for next year and they're all, they're all theatre based in some way. And, um, and that's a bit worrying because we've still no idea what's going to happen. Mm. So, I kind of got myself into a mindset of thinking, do you know what? It doesn't matter. If it all disappears, then it's fine. I'll, I'll, I'll just have a really nice time doing something else. 
So I'm kind of just waiting around now, wondering mm. whether it's going to be a busy year or it's going to be a, a year of just really enjoying myself and and doing other can, things. Can you do both? Can you do busy and enjoy yourself? It's <laughs> <laughs> that sounded like I yeah, can either have true, a busy yeah. year or... <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, you're right, yeah. Yeah, you can, you can do both, obviously, yeah. <laughs> what, whatever, I have to say, whatever does happen next year, I'll I'll be fine. I'll, be, I'll have a good time. Mm. Yeah, because yeah, I always do. So I can yeah. be fine. And how can people find out more about Commoners Choir and all the other amazing things that you've done? Well, I've got a website, which is boffwally.com, but um, I don't really keep, keep, it, keep it up very much, <laughs> unfortunately. I ought to. Uh, but there is a Commoners Choir website, and there's, the best thing, I think, is for people to look at um, Commoners Choir's YouTube thing because it's just got all sorts of different documentaries and songs and everything like that on so it's it's just if you were going to think oh i'll go and have a look at something that that person's done then that's a good kind of i had, I had to do an interview today with with this theater company in london we were interviewing somebody to, to be a musical director for something and literally about three minutes before we had to sit down on a zoom call to talk to him i thought oh, i better look him up so I looked him up and found out we had loads of things in common, literally in this kind of two-minute gap. And then when, as soon as we, we started this meeting, I was like, I know you. You've been working with Rod and you know this and you know these and you, you did this. And it was great. And I just thought that's all it needs. It just needs people just go and have a look for two minutes and just they can get the length and breadth of you, can't they? Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> no, I, would, I would really urge people to look at the commoners choir stuff i i i just love it so much i love listening to the songs i love listening to the words i love how it makes you feel i love how it makes you think do you sing just, along um i well singing might be pushing it a little bit um no that's what i do love singing say. though yeah, yeah. People, so many people in choirs and especially in our choir say you know i can't actually sing is it all right to come along and it, often people have told them that they can't sing and they mm. come along. As soon as you're singing with 50 people in a room, then you can sing. It's fine. Yeah. I used to, I was part of rock choir for a little bit. Oh, that yeah. Was, yeah. When I saw you were doing Commoners Choir four years ago, I was like, oh, I live in the wrong place. I'm one yeah. of those Southerners, you see. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There are a lot of people in the, the South. Yeah. A lot of people say, why don't, why isn't the one down here? <laughs> yeah. Come down, start another yeah. one. Yeah. <laughs> Just for me. <laughs> we have people coming. We have we have one one bloke called uh, David Hepp, and he, he comes up from Leicester <sighs> when we rehearse, and he comes up every week from Leicester to to West Yorkshire to rehearse, mm. and he's he's brilliant. He he just he just you, you can see the smile on his face when he's there. He just really enjoys it. You just yeah. think, wow, he's, he's he's traveling so far every week, and that's lovely. I think it's great. Thank you, Bob. Thank you so much for thank you sharing your time with me. And yeah, I just love talking to you. So thank you. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. <laughs> it was it's really therapeutic, isn't it? Just, <laughs> just chatting, having, yeah. having to think things through. Yeah, it's really <laughs> nice. It's good chatting with purpose. I think it is. Oh. Maybe I should have called the podcast. <laughs> no, no. Sounds like Alan Partridge, don't do that. Right, I'm stopping Thank you very much. Now. Thank yeah, you, Bob. Thanks. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> thanks, that's brilliant. I'm go and make some dinner now, aren't I? Thank you so much for listening. I really loved that interview and I hope something resonated for you. 
If you'd like to be part of elevating my do good and do well community, please come along and join my Facebook group. I'll put the link in the show notes. And if you're not on Facebook, you can find me on the usual social media sites. And if you're not on any of those, then you can visit my website, sarahfox.co.uk. Take very good care. <laughs>